elevates trusting all is well well is all welcome 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 back to elevated frequencies reading segment i'm your host sherry also known as shy shy also known as nylaris um and we will be continuing to read akata warrior by Nettie okavor this is the akata series part two if you have not been here in part one please go back as it's still available on any streaming platform Anchor, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. We're now streaming on iHeartRadio as well. So you have plenty of options to listen. Um, Only reason why I really do uh, suggest to catch up on part one, even if you, you buy the book and read it on your own without listening to the narrative, it's just to be part of the story, knowing what's going on now, uh, what led up to today's events, you know, how Sunny has built her strength, how the, how the coven has even been created, um, the battles they faced and overcome, that kind of thing. It just, it, it's just better to know the full background versus just little bits and pieces. Um, but you did miss quite a few events and it's only leading up to more. Last week we read chapters 11 and 12 where, um, Chi-Chi and Sunny took it matters into their own hands to show the gang, pretty much that's what they were, the gang that jumped Sunny's or initiated Sunny's brother, Chupu, um, but Sunny just couldn't take how bad her brother was beat up. He, he was fearful of going back to the school. Um, there was a lot going on and she's like, no, my family invested too much in this. Um, my father has put a lot in this. My mom has put a lot of her emotion into this. I even have high hopes for my brother. He's going back to school. This gang is not going to kick him out. Um, so yeah, Chi Chi and Sunny went ahead, but Sunny um, didn't go with the plan. She kind of took matters into her own hands once things started popping off. And, um, I I don't know. I have no idea why things are taking place the way they are, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. Regardless of anything, I know Sunny will be dealing with the consequences, which is what we will be reading in chapter 13. Another thing that I noticed, chapter 13 is a bit thicker than any other chapter. So, um, yeah, we, we we got quite a few things to look forward to in chapter 13 and 14, um, or I should say this week's reading. But without further ado, I don't want to, you know, bore you guys with all the details and the summaries. But, you know, sometimes it's good to know, especially those who can't catch every episode and what have you and things of that sort. I'm here. I'm here to assist. <laughs> You're always welcome to reach out to my Instagram at elevated underscore frequency FHZ or my direct number if you have it um, with any suggestions, any feedback that you may have. Um, if you feel, oh, Sherry, you read too fast in this episode, you may want to slow down. Anything. I'm open for criticism. I'm open for feedback so that I know what I need to do to become better, to, to help you guys get more engaged and to participate. Um, you know, your participation helps me, you know, when I don't get that, it is discouraging. So, you know, continue to show me support, give me that confirmation that I'm doing this not in vain. Um, regardless of anything, I do it because I enjoy reading and this encourages me to read again, pick up a book. Um, so it's just allowing you into my experience, um, inviting you in 
to read along with me, to encourage you to pick up a book as well. But yeah, let's get into it. Chapter 13, Debasement. The ceremonial mask stared at Sonny. There were 52 of them. Over her months as sugar cream student, she'd had plenty of time to count. The first time she was here, she thought there were only 20. But then again, she'd been distracted by the fact that she was there at risk of being canned for showing her spirit face to Jabaku. The mask didn't stay in the same spot either. Every few days, some of them moved, sometimes across the wall, sometimes switching with the mask beside them, and some would change the expressions on their face. Sunny had learned early on not to touch them or mutter anything in, in, in anger near them. They would sometimes lick, smooch, try to bite, or spit on her hand, and they'd tell Sugar Cream anything she said. Now, all the masks looked either angry or deeply interested. Sugar Cream was scowling at Sunny. Sunny gazed right back. It was 5 a.m. and she'd pulled, she'd walk up the Obi Library stairs alone. Since she knew the way to Sugar Cream's office and she knew the consequences would probably be greater if she fled. She found Sugar Cream in her office sitting at her desk wearing a cream-colored nightgown, a cup of warm milky coffee in her hand. What happened? Sugar Cream icily asked. Sunny told Sugar Cream everything. She'd stood with her back straight and chin up. She'd fought back her eyes dry and won. Though when she described her brother's ordeal, her voice cracked twice and she felt lightheaded. When she told of holding time, only then did Sugar Cream's eyebrows rise. But only the tiniest bit. Otherwise, her face remained like stone. This early morning, Sunny's mentor looked ancient. This morning, Sunny knew that she'd be canned. Chi-Chi was right, Sugar Cream said when Sunny finished. Do you see her here? She paused. Huh? She suddenly snapped, making Sunny jump. Do you see Chi-Chi here to be punished? No, ma'am, Sunny quickly said. No, you don't. And it's not only because she made sure you two remained hidden and that those foul young men thought it was the devil attacking them and not you two. Those men rock the foundation of learning in this country. We leopard people have been working for years to eliminate these confraternities at their root. You two were given a pass for what you did, but then you, you crossed the line. You let your rage get the best of you. Sunny looked down, frowning. I don't care, she thought. She knew if she had to do it all over again, she'd do the same thing. She had to protect her brother. Sugar Cream knew this, too. With great power comes great responsibility, Sunny, Sugar Cream said. You're young. You're a free agent who knows 
very little, but who is bursting with potential and passion. You are not the best or smartest of your age mates, but you are interesting. This is why I took you on. But you need to learn control. She took a sip of her coffee. And you need to learn the consequences. After explaining to Sunny what will happen to her, Sugar Cream called two older students in the building. They were not to speak to Sunny. They weren't even to look at her. All they were to do was walk in front and behind her. They led Sunny down the hallway to a gray door and one of the students opened it. It led to a stairway. Sunny followed him in, the other student following behind Sunny. The walls here were made of a gray stone that looked like it had been carved bit by bit with an ice pick. These steps were also made of the same roughly chiseled stone. As they descended, Sunny couldn't help the tears that fell from her eyes. She counted 30 steps, and still they kept going. It was like traveling into an underground cave. The air grew cooler and cooler until Sunny was shivering. She was glad that she still wore her jeans and the black hooded sweatshirt over her t-shirt. Down, down, down they went. To the Obi Library's infamous basement, Sugar Cream had ordered Sunny to stay here for three days as punishment for pulling a lamb outside of town, a severe violation of leopard doctrine, even for someone of greater experience and age. Because Sunny was under 25, her punishment was milder than if she were an adult. If you were 26, Sugar Cream had said, you'd be canned and then sent down there for three months. Go in, one of the students now said, and don't try to come up. They left her. They didn't lock the door because there was no door, just an opening in the stone wall with a dimly lit stone stairway that led back up. Sunny's turned around and took in her prison. The basement was large, smelled of dirt and mildew, and was filled with moldering bookshelves of moldering books. Books that had been replicated and brought down here to be disposed of in due time. The bookshelves had rotted, buckled, and fallen into decay. Obviously, some of the books had been forgotten. In the center of the basement was a dusty wooden platform with an old bronze statue of a squat toad with overly bulbous eyes. Sunny touched its large head with her hand and sat on it as she watched the students leave. Each day, they would bring her a meal and a large pitcher of water. She was given a bucket as her toilet, which would also be taken and emptied daily. Other than that, she would be alone down there. No blankets, no bathing, no light other than the dim one high on the ceiling. As the sound of their footsteps receded, the fear set in. She'd heard terrible things about the basement. She sunk to the floor, leaning her head against the toad's head. 
I did the right thing, she whispered. I don't care what no one says. There were red spiders all over the place, especially on the ceiling. As she stared up at it, she noticed a large patch of turning red in the far left corner over one of the few bookcases that still stood. Slowly, Sunny walked across the dusty floor, her sandals grinding on the white marble. It wasn't just covered with dust. There was sand, too. From where? Who knew? She stopped feet from the ceiling corner above, her mouth curling with disgust. Hundreds, maybe thousands, of nasty, mewling red spiders churned in the corner. She squinted and shuddered. They were all milling around one enormous red spider the size of a dinner plate. Oh, God, she whispered. Stepping away slowly, she was sure the thing was watching her, watching closely with its many eyes. She stumbled back to the large bronze toad, the only thing in the room that felt okay. She rested her back against it, wrapped her arms around her knees. The metal was comfortably, comfortingly warm, and immediately fatigue fell on her. It had to be nearing sunrise. She'd snuck out of the house, journeyed to campus with Chi-Chi, located and terrorized one of the most powerful confraternities in the area. And now, here she was. This was the longest night of her life. Her eyes grew heavy, but there was no rest for the weary. The basement had no windows. She was deep beneath the ground. The place was like, like a tomb. And the one light bulb, which just had to be near the spiders, was greasy and dim, shining down on the older, used up and discarded books. There were corners and crevices between fallen shelves, and the room was full of shadows and hiding places. All this made the scraping sound that much more terrifying. The sound seemed to bear down on the marble floor. Then it dragged, slow and steady. Then it stopped. Then it dragged. Then it stopped. It came from right behind one of the bookcases to Sunny's left, and she could see a bit of a shadow through two fallen shelves, but nothing more. Sunny had nothing with her, nothing to throw, nothing to clutch with fear. Oh, she whispered, trying to stay still, willing herself to be invisible. She could become invisible, but not for very long. And to do so, she had to travel, to move. Would whatever it was come at her? What was it? Pause. Pause. 
It looked just before it came into view. Sonny waited for what felt like 15 minutes, but the thing didn't show itself. Instead, quiet as smoke, a flame burst from behind the books. A smokeless one. No smell, no burning, just the light and shadow of a flame. Sunny, helpless and exhausted, leaned against the neck of the bronze toad, staring at that which she could not see. Soon, her eyes went out of focus, and then slowly, they shut. Sunny's eyes shot open and she jumped up. Her legs wobbled and buckled, and she fell against the toad, banging her hip. A rotten egg smell of sulfur stung her nose. She winced, turning toward the sound and the stench. What she spotted beside the bookcase made every hair in her body stand up. Even from feet away, she could tell that they were human bones, and not only because the one pile at the top was a clearly human skull. One near the bottom was heavy and long, a femur, and there was a hand sticking out of the center. The pile looked about the size of one human being, the bones a dirty, rusty gray-red. Sunny didn't move. She couldn't move. Her eyes stared and stared, and then they started to water. She gasped and looked toward the staircase. Someone was coming down. She looked back at the bones. They were gone. It was Samya, one of Sugar Cream's closest assistants. She was one of the few third levels under the age of 30 that Leopard Knox had. To pass Mbidu, one had to attend a meeting of masquerades and get a masquerade's consent to be a third level. To attend such a meeting, one had to slip into the wilderness, which meant the person had to die and come back. Only third levelers and up knew how this was done when one was not born with the natural ability. To reach the third level of Nbidu was like earning a PhD and it was rare for one to be the under the age of 35. Samya was 24. She was a bookish woman who wore red plastic glasses and a long red dress and had reddish brown skin like Chi-Chi and Chi-Chi's mother. She piled her long braids atop her head as she carried the small stray. Oh, Sunny, are you all right? She asked. The worried look on her face cracked Sunny's wall of strength like a sheet of thin, light, thin ice. Her body grew warm and tingly, and her eyes stung with tears. No, she whispered as Samya quickly came to her. She put the tray of food on the floor beside Sunny and gathered her in her arms. Why did you do it? 
I had to, Sonny sobbed. I had to. It was my brother. You didn't see what they... She couldn't breathe. Shh, shh, Sonia said, holding her back. Relax. Get a hold of yourself. But Sonny's entire body was shuddering. Images of her brother's battered face, eyes swollen, mouth swollen, his pain, Capo's terrified face as he grasped for air, lying in wait in the bushes, darkness, screams. Sonny, Samya said, shaking her, you need to calm down. She paused. There is something down here that can't know you are weak. Sonny felt her nerves sing. There was something down here. She felt faint as she pushed her body to calm down. What is it? I can't say, and I can't come back, Samya said. When someone is sent to the basement, a different student must bring down food on each day. I think Sugar Cream sent me first because she knew you'd need me. Don't expect the others that come to be helpful. They will follow the rules. What rules? Never mind, she quickly said. Some things are worth it. Now listen, Sonny, and listen closely if you want to come out of here sane and alive. These books are old. They are used. They have been replaced, then cast aside. They will be dealt with eventually, but for now they are down here. Every book has a soul. Every book carries and attracts. There are sterilization and soothing jujus all over this room, but this is the earth. Something will always come and live here. In this case, it is a jinn. It guards and hides in the books. Does it make fire that doesn't burn? Samya nodded and frowned. So, you've already seen it. Yes, it's bones. I fell asleep and I woke up and it was right over there. She pointed to mere feet away. Oh my God, so soon, Samya said, circling her head and snapping her finger. Then she looked at Sunny and gave the most pathetic, reassuring smile Sunny had ever seen. Listen, Sunny, it will try you. Try what? You, it knows. Sonny, you aren't learned yet. You are just a free agent, but you were. Are someone who did something in the wilderness. It was a good thing, I think. Otherwise, why would Ekwen Su fear you? The thing down here is a jinn, and it'll read your past life as you being powerful in your present one. Some sort of chosen one. So it will try you. It will want to see what you've got. She frowned. Damn, Sonny. Why did you have to get yourself thrown down here? What do I do, Son? Sonny said. Samya got up. I don't really know. She looked at the staircase as if someone were calling her. Then she looked at Sonny. Don't let it take you, she paused. And don't believe the silly lamb stereotypes about Ginny. They don't grant wishes, and what they show you can be, can be an illusion, but more times than not, it is not real, or it is real. 
They can harm you. Okay, I have to go, she pointed to the tray. Eat all of it, she said. She looked Sunny in the eyes. All of it. You need your strength. Wait, wait, Sunny said as Samya moved quickly to the staircase. My parents, my family, will someone? Good luck, Sunny, she said over her shoulder. Stay strong, stay alive. Then she rushed up the stairs. Sunny watched her go, listening as her steps grew fainter and fainter and then were gone. She sat against the bronze toad and stared at her tray of food. A bowl of dry-looking jollof rice with one chunk of tough-looking goat meat in the middle of it, an orange, and a bottle of water. She ate it all quickly, her eyes darting around like a scared rabbit. She didn't taste a bite of it. The scraping sound had begun again. There was water somewhere in the basement, but she couldn't see it. Then stop. Then then stop. As if there was some machine turning it off and on, trying to drive her mad. Dad would make two things with the same intention. A machine and a gin. Sunny giggled to herself, quietly. She had to stay quiet. The thing that was clumping and scraping around the room didn't seem to really see her. As the hours passed, she began to believe it was because of the bronze toad. Maybe there was something in it that kept the gin at bay. For since that first time, it had not shown its bones to her. Maybe I didn't really see the bones at all, she thought. She giggled again. If I don't move, then I'll be safe. The scraping was on the other side of the large room, its noise echoing about the high ceiling. From where she was, she had a clear view of the red spiders too. The big one was still in its spot. That was good. Yes, that was good. Her head pounded. How long had it been since Samya left? Three hours? Nine? All she had was the hanging dim light near the spiders. Chuku, you better thank me when I get out of here, she whispered to herself. It was good to hear her voice, even if she couldn't raise it. If I get out of here. She hugged herself closer to the bronze toad's warm body, pressing her head to it. Her comb clicked against the the metal. She took it out and examined it, glad to have something else to focus on. She held it to her nose and smelled it. It smelled briny, like the sea, but there was also a hint of flowers. The smell was pleasant. It smelled of outside. She smiled and whispered, thank you, to the Lady of the Sea, who saved her and then given her a gift that she could admire during a dark time. Who, oh, who is Sunny Noazu? She heard an ancient male voice suddenly sing. Scream. 
who, oh who, is Sunny Noazu? The voice said again. Then another scrape. It had seen her. It had known she was there all along. The bronze toad was just a bronze toad. A decoration. An ornament in a room that was more a giant trash container than anything else. Sunny knew this. She just needed something to grasp because they'd given her nothing. They'd thrown her down here, and they hadn't even given her a gun, a protective stone, a hard stick, nothing. She had her juju knife, but she didn't know any protective charms against genie or ghost. She glanced up at the ceiling. The giant red spider was still there. And even from where she was, she felt more positive than ever that it was watching her. But the other smaller ones had dissipated. Maybe they were all over the basement now, including on the floor. She looked down and wasn't surprised to see one scurrying across the sandy marble. Suddenly, the entire room reeked so strongly of sulfur that it hurt to breathe. Sunny jumped up and took off toward the stairway that led out the library basement, coughing. She hadn't moved much in hours and her muscles were stiff, but she ran up the stairway like a champion. Her sandals slapped the concrete. She didn't dare glance back. Thus, she couldn't have been more shocked when she found herself stumbling right back into the Obi library basement. Her sense of direction and gravity reeled for several moments as she became to understand what had happened. What? She screeched. Who, oh, who is Sunny Noazu? The voice vibrated, coming from every direction and within Sunny's head. She pressed her hands over her ears as she frantically looked for a place to hide. There, a small space between two fallen bookcases. Maybe she could hole up in that space for two days, a day and a half, whatever amount of time she had left here. About to run for it, she shivered and looked to her left. This time, she did scream. Because she'd been about to run, her leg muscles were like a tightly wound spring. She tried to change directions by a few degrees and her legs tangled. As she went down, she didn't take her eyes off the pile of bones. The skull had its jaw broken. There was a foot at the top. A hand tumbled down and landed facing upward like a dead white spider. <laughs> the dried old bone suddenly burst into a quiet, smokeless flame. Sunny hit the ground, and her hip was an explosion of pain. Still, she managed to roll to her side and pull her juju knife from her pocket. She did a quick flourish and caught the cool invisible pouch in her hand as she lay on her side. Then she drew a square in the air while muttering into the pouch the words Chi-Chi had taught her. The only difference was that she spoke them in her native tongue of English, instead of Chi-Chi's native tongue of Efik. Bring a thick barrier 
hold strong too. From the very air I breathe, it must hold true. When the tumbled hand rolled toward her and then perched on its fingertips so that it could tap on the barrier, Sunny shivered. Free agent, weak frightened magic, the voice said, shatters like glass. With these words, there was a sound of glass breaking and falling to the marble floor. What more do you have? Sunny had been practicing on her own and incorporating lessons Sugar Cream had taught her over the months. She calmed, forcing herself to look at the ancient pile of human bones that were engulfed in flames but not burning at all. Your entire body must relax. Feel it drop. Then imagine your spirit dropping, Sugar Cream had said. Think of Enyanwu. You are her and she is you. Remember your initiation when you were pulled into the ground? Feel that. But feel it as if Enyanwu is pulling from your body. Before Sunny gave it a try, Sugar Cream had reminded her to make sure she was lying down. Now, Sunny was already on the floor. She rested her head back, keeping an eye on the bones. Relax, 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 she thought. Breathe. She flared her nostrils, inhaling deeply through her nose. It took all she had, but she calmed herself. She would be okay. She might not have had too many real moments of terror in her 13 years, but in her past life, she had. She couldn't remember them clearly, but she could feel those memories right on the tip of her mind, and she'd still gone on. Even if she died in this basement, she would go on in spirit. She relaxed more with the comfort of this remote knowledge. She relaxed. She dropped. She felt it physically, but it was much more than that. Oh, now it gets interesting, the boy said. Welcome. The ocean floor was cool. It was a pure stone, an old, old stone. Maybe it had been in the earth longer than the OB library had existed. Maybe the basement was carved from what was already in the ground. It was so solid. Sunny got up. She flew, passing through the bookcases as if they were clouds. She was nothing but yellow mist. She knew there would be other things here. And she hoped she didn't run into them. But she couldn't afford to look around. She had to get away. But she couldn't stay partially in the wilderness for long. Not yet. Before she knew what she was doing or how quickly she'd travel across the large room, she smashed into a wall. They were made of the same marble. She could not pass through them, even if she dropped into the wilderness. How was this possible? What kind of stone is this? She wondered as she crumbled to the ground. Scrape. One by one, the bones dragged and tumbled toward her. Do you think this place is only your world? The voice said. 
It is physical and wilderness. It is a fool place. You can't escape. What do you want? She muttered, not far from her. On the floor were five red spiders. Two of them just stood there, seeming to watch her. The other three were running for cover. I want what you have, the voice said. Why? They throw stupid leppy people down here often. Timid, angry, weak-minded, careless men and women who have nothing for me to take but a piece of their sanity or some of a family member's future meager gifts. But you, you have a soul that could release me from this place. Sunny, someone called. Sunny no azul. Sunny got to her feet, wobbly for a moment, then steady. She'd hit the wall as something other than a physical body. She was shaken, but okay. Sunny, she heard the man call again, a human man from near the staircase. Her second meal was here. She'd made it through the second day, but was it breakfast, lunch, or dinner? I'm here, she called, peeking around one of the bookshelves. He was a tall man of about her mother's age. He wore jeans and a black t-shirt and gym shoes. Not clothes she'd seen any of the Obi Library students wear during the day. Here is your dinner, he said, holding it out to her. If she had to guess, judging from his accent, this guy was from Lagos. He held the tray out to her. It was the same meal of jollof rice, goat meat, and water. Thank you, she said. So it's night then? Do you know what time it is? The man didn't answer. He wouldn't even look her in the eye. He turned and started walking away. Sir? Olga? Do you hear me? Sonny asked, following him. As he walked toward the staircase, he moved quicker. Sonny put her tray on the ground, suddenly feeling panicky and invisible. Hey, she shouted. I can't speak or look at you, he said stiffly, his back still to her. The punishment is canning. Sunny froze. Samya. She pressed her hand to her chest, shock. Oh, she breathed. Oh, no. She stepped away from the staircase, listening to the sound of a man's footsteps grow fainter and fainter. Stay strong, Sunny thought, tears in her eyes. I have to survive this. Otherwise, Samya would have been canned in vain. She whirled around when she heard a crunch. Her plate of rice looked as if a stone as heavy as a car had fallen on it. A red spider had been crushed beside it, too. The bottle of water rolled and came to rest beside a bookcase. She heard the gin chuckle from the other side of the room. That's really funny, she said, trying to keep her voice steady. Her mother had once told her that if she ever found herself facing a wild animal, never ever show fear.
The djinn wasn't an animal. Well, not one of the physical world, at least. But it was certainly wild. Up to now, Sunny had worn her fear on her sleeve. She couldn't help it. She was scared. However, her mother also liked to say that it was never too late. Her legs tingled and shuddered as she slowly walked toward her water bottle. She bent and picked it up. The water washed into her parched body like rain on dry, cracked earth. During the gliding lessons with sugar cream, she and Sunny never moved fully into the wilderness. Sunny was far from ready for that, and to go in unready meant a quiet, peaceful, swift death to her physical body. However, sugar cream took Sunny in and out, where she was in both the wilderness and the physical world. And instead of seeing one place, she saw two layered over each other. Sugar Cream described it as similar to looking at the world through an aquarium. Learning how to quote unquote in it, learning how to go quote unquote in and out or between was not so hard. Sunny had gone between naturally on her own when she'd first snuck out the house through the keyhole, thinking she'd work her first juju. It was going into the wilderness completely that was extremely difficult. Whenever Sugar Cream had her due preparatory exercises for going into the wilderness, Sunny always found herself desperate for water afterward. That's because water is life, Sugar Cream had said. The body doesn't like for its soul to even consider entering the wilderness. Sunny took another gulp and felt a little better. You've forgotten what it's like to be human, she called out. You should have crushed the water bottle. Humans need water more than food. Despite her fear, she smiled at her own words. I was never a human, the djinn said. As she drank, she looked around. More spiders on the book's feet away. The djinn's voice was still coming from the other side of the room, but that didn't mean anything. Her eye went to one of the books in the fallen case in front of her. She pulled it from between two dusty hardcovers. Alex Haley's autobiography of Malcolm X, a lamb book. What's that doing here? She muttered. Beside it were several volumes on leopard medicine and even more on leopard world alliance law. Sunny, she jumped. The voice was right behind her. She was yanked back. There was a bright flash in her mind and a metallic sting so intense that she couldn't tell where she felt it. Then she was plunging into cool water. There was a splash. It was like her initiation when she burst into the river and was pulled along, except this felt like she was being pulled down, 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 instead of horizontally. She felt her body struggling for breath. She couldn't breathe. The cool water pressed in on her as she descended into the deep blue. 
She could see the dull basement light above her, slowly pulling, my, pulling itself away as she sank. She thrashed and clutched her neck. Her lungs burned. Water rushed into her mouth, down her throat, into her chest. Even then she fought, but she was growing weak. She was dying. The gin was drowning her. The water was cool. She was cooling. She let go of her neck. She let go. Then the sensation of falling without falling. She hit something hard. Colors zoomed around her, mostly green. But she was vaguely aware of the library. She was in the library. Her chest felt heavy, full. She coughed sharply and grabbed for the bookcase. There was a red spider right behind, beside her hand, but she didn't care. No, the djinn said in her ear. There is no escape. Come, come completely. She could feel the bookcase melting in her hands, dissolving as something yanked at her shoulders, pulling her back. She felt it in her chest, a warm, sharp, tearing sensation. Then she felt her spirit's face rush forward. Oh, she heard the djinn say. Then it chuckled and drawled. Who are you, Sunny Noazu? She still felt the pain, but all over now, and she felt dim, somehow muted. She'd held on to the case, trying to will herself out of the wilderness, but then she was holding on to nothing. Then the bookcase became a mass of bushes, but the spider on it didn't disappear. It sat there on the bush. She gasped. It was one of those creatures that existed in both worlds. It was still red, but now the size of a basketball with fluorescent blue rings on its legs. The creature waved a leg at her and scurried away. Sunny held onto the bus, realizing she wasn't breathing. She wore her spirit face. She was an Yanwu. Her body? She was nobody. She was yellow, the color of the sun, light, and a sea of mostly green. Green blobs undulated past, pink and green insects with green lines for wings. The wilderness looked like a jungle. There was a sound, and it was thick and moist and fertile, alive. She was afraid to speak. I see you, the djinn said. Its dusty voice was strong here. It was strong here. All she could think of was death. How many seconds had passed? Would they find her body? Then the djinn was on her like a vampire. They went tumbling into some bushes as she fought to keep it from tearing off her mask. Was it a mask in the wilderness? Could it come off? She vaguely remembered what her father had said about masquerades. Never unmask a masquerade. That 
is an abomination. What happened if one spirit face was torn off? Could the djinn then eat her soul like the meat of a cracked clam? The djinn pinned her down in those bushes. It was stronger. It wasn't human. It wasn't dying. It knew this place. She was done for. There was a large spider on its shoulder. It was red with blue rings on it. Blue rings, blue rings, blue rings. The glimmer of sudden recognition was like a burning focal point of light in her brain. It was brilliant and it seared. She knew blue rings. She remembered. I know you, she blurted, straining to hold the djinn off her. Yes, we've spent some time together, the djinn said, flashing a deeper red. But don't worry, soon you won't know much else. She wasn't talking to the djinn. As she desperately stared at the spider, she gasped. I know you all. The djinn's strength decreased as it tried to figure out what its prey was talking about and whom she was talking to. Then it noticed the spider on its shoulder. It released Anyanwu and scrambled back. The spider leaped off the djinn and ran up to her. And before she could say more, it turned its glowing backside to her and thrust its singer into her yellow mist. She was flying again, backward this time, across the marble floor, the sand beneath her bottom. Her skin was cool because she was soaking wet. She came to a stop just in front of the bronze toad. She opened her mouth and inhaled for what felt like forever. Ching, 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 ching. Several tiny copper chittim fell beside her. For several moments, her vision was distorted. She, she rubbed her eyes and tried to see. She was seeing too much. The green of the wilderness, the basement, through two sets of eyes, two minds, Sunny and Enyanwu. It was as if she was broken and herself were sitting beside each other as opposed to being unified within. The sensation was horrifying. She heard herself screaming. And just when she was sure she'd go mad, she came back together and her world snapped into focus. She shivered and shuddered and then jumped up to find it. She ran to the bookshelf, looking at the ground. Where was it? Where was it? There. She grabbed it and downed the rest of her water. She was soaking wet, yet she felt horribly dehydrated. She grabbed her shirt and began to suck the water from it too. God, she groaned, stumbling back. She'd been able to suck up quite a lot of water. She was, she was that soaked. Her body began to calm, but her mind was popping and crackling, memories exploding like popcorn. I, what is this? I, 
I remember them, she muttered, confused as her mind crowded. She whirled around. I remember you all. There by the toad. Hundreds of them. She was lucky she hadn't crushed them. But then again, they could probably move much faster than she thought. They were not just spiders. Where was the big one? The back of her neck prickled. She looked up. The thick-legged spider, the size of a dinner plate, was perched on the wall right above her head. Sunny addressed it in Igbo because she knew this was its preferred language. She knew so much. Agwu, she said, descendant of Udai, the great spider of all great spiders. I remember you. I remember you and all of your children. The spider's entire body scrunched up with surprise. Good, she thought. Then it began to descend on a thick thread of webbing. Sunny knew she didn't have much time. So she spoke fast. Do you remember me? My name is Anyanwu, but here my name is Sunny Nwazu. I am the granddaughter of Ozamena Nim. So, she fought to remember what her grandmother had written in the letter she'd left for Sunny. She'd read it so many times that she just died and came back to life. So that makes me of the warrior folk of the Nim clan, descendant of Mbafu, of the warrior Iforu Nim and Odili of the ghost people. I am 13 years old of Igbo ancestry and an American birth, New York City. I am a free agent who only learned this fact a year and a half ago. So you have to know that I can't fight this gin. Its voice made her feel like a tuning fork was being held close to its flesh. The vibration made her want to stick her pinky in her ear. It was vaguely female. I know you, Anyanwu, she said. She hung before Sunny's eyes. Even with her life being in danger, her fear of spiders made her tense up. I know what you all tried and felt that so long ago, Sunny said. The spider clenched her legs to her body. Sunny suppressed a disgusted shudder. You were on the plane, Sunny said. The Inolagi, I know. You were on the bomb, and you tried to weave the storytelling juju your people are most known for. You wove a thick thread that was supposed to cause the bomb not to work when they dropped it on Hiroshima. But when you attached it, you misspoke one of the binding words, and it snapped when the bomb was released. You failed, and no one has seen you since. So, this basement is where you came with all your descendants to hide from the world. No, this basement is where you died cursed us to stay until I have completed my task, she said. 
which is impossible because I have already failed. The lights flickered and Sonny heard a scraping sound from across the room. The gin had located its nerve. Such things never give up so quickly, she knew. Wait, please, Sonny said, help me. We will not, Obu said. We can't help anyone. I am useless and my children are useless. The djinn takes from those sent down here for punishment. But we have only seen it kill one person punished down here. And that was 40 years ago. A young man whose bones were so strong they could not break. Let it take from you some blood, some years from your life, some of your life's good luck. Then leave this place and never do anything stupid enough to cause your return. Or maybe, yes, it will kill you and the animal. I will see you in the wilderness. Ogu tried to ascend on her web and Sunny began to panic. The djinn feared the spider. As soon as she was far enough from Sunny, it would have nothing to fear. Sunny Noazo, the djinn sang, I'm coming for you. I know how you can break your curse, Sunny quickly said. Ogu stopped. She waited. I need to do what you all tried to do, but on a larger scale. She was making it up on the spot. Sunny had no clue why she'd been shown the vision in the candle and was having the strange dreams. But this wasn't a time to worry about flat out lying. I've seen the end. And this time, it's not just a city in flames. It's the entire world. I've seen it in a candle. That's what caused me to discover I was a free agent leopard person. And I've been seeing it over and over in my dreams for the last few months. So maybe it's supposed to happen soon. Oh, saving the world will require more than just me. But I am needed. Please, help me. If you do, you'll be doing what you should have done back in 1945. And this time, it'll be on a grander scale. You won't just be saving a city. You'll be saving the earth. Fear of failure leads to more failure. And you won't fail this time. You will be able to leave this place. Trust me. Remember sunlight? You'll see it again. If you help. I am. I am ignorant. I can't defeat a djinn. You're a Nyanwu. We knew each other well. You can crush this gin like a pepper seed. I don't remember how. Then you have no idea who you are. Sunny pressed her lips together, but didn't argue. Ogu paused and then quickly ascended up her web. Sunny's stomach paused. When she looked at the bronze toad, all of Ogu's children were gone too hiding wherever they like to hide, probably poised to watch the djinn take her life. Sunny would be like the guy from 40 years ago. 
How could Sugar Cream throw her down here knowing that had happened? How could they say in anyone down here knowing about it? The leper people could be a callous people, especially when it came to adhering to certain rules. The damn rules. Sunny brought out her juju knife. There were the bones, right beside her, and the smell of sulfur. She ran through the handful of juju she'd learned so far. How to bring music, how to keep mosquitoes away, healing minor energies, staying dry in the rain, making a cup of polluted fresh water drinkable, testing if something was cursed or poisoned, how to push back a heavy aggressor, creating a barrier. She paused. The barrier. She was good at that one. She held up her hand and opened her palm. Then she bought up her juju knife and made a circular flourish. She caught the pouch with the same hand while keeping the other one up. The invisible packet was cool and wet in her palm. Stay back, she firmly said. Before she could speak the activating words, the wilderness descended on her, layering her world. A black shadow flew from the pile of bones. Eyes wide, Sunny stood her ground. She opened her mouth to speak, but it was on her too quickly. Something sank into her arm like 50 needles. She screamed in her entire world, both physical and wilderness, flashed bright. She felt the gin sucking as she tried to shake it off. But there was nothing off. There was nothing to shake off. It had no body, not even bones. There was nothing but a thick, oily brown shade. Suddenly, it froze. Then it let go. Sunny rolled away, avoiding her arm. She got to her feet and ran to the nearest bookcase. Only when she got around it did she chance a look back. It was disgusting. Hundreds of red spiders had pinned the gin to the floor like a sheet of brown, red, solid smoke. Sunny had to blink to fully understand what she was seeing. On one plane, the gin was a pile of dry bones and the spiders were the size of American quarters. Ogwu, the size of a dinner plate. On the other, the gin was a large blob of brownish smoke and the spiders were large as basketballs. Ogwu, the size of a small child. On both planes, they were tearing the gin apart. She could hear the dry bones snapping, crunching, and crumbling, and she could hear the wet smacking as the large spider-like creatures tore off tiny pieces of the chin with their large legs and ate them. All the writhing legs and bodies made her stomach turn. The gin didn't make a sound. It accepted its sudden defeat like an old man giving up on life. As they ate, the hanging light bulb at the ceiling brightened, flooding the basement. It was like sunshine in its purity and warmth. Sunny shaded her eyes. Your diet has seen us, she heard Obu shout. Your diet has seen us. The spiders left the mess that was the gin 
and went running to the wall. Ogul leading the way. Up the wall they crept. Then they scrambled to the ceiling, tore the hanging light. Ogul stopped above it and pointed a leg at the light. Go, my children, go. We're free. I will see you in the world. Group by group, they lowered themselves on their webs into the light, which flashed blue whenever a spider entered it. Enyanwu, Ogu said. Sunny Noazu, good luck. We've saved you here, but all of our lives depend on what you and the others do. Stop, Ekwensu. How do you know it's her? Sunny asked. She hadn't mentioned Ekwensu. You've been down here all? I've been down here, but you know my children and I are not just of this place. We dwell in the wilderness also. We know the news there. The basement flashed and flashed as if it contained its own lightning. Sunny looked back at the remains of the gin. She was firmly in the physical world now, and there was nothing but the dust left of it. Is it dead? she asked Ogul. It was never alive. Will it rise again? Not for a while. Eventually. But we will not be here when it does. Sunny smiled. She had one more night to spend here, and she spent it alone. Thank goodness. Sunny and Yanwu and Yanwu Sunny, Obu said. Her children were all gone, and she was finally lowering herself toward the light. Thank you for giving me this chance to finally act, to play a role. The great spider you died blesses you. If you ever meet her, send her my greetings and love. Then she was gone in a flash of blue light. Silence. A good kind of silence. Sunny was safe. She held up her arm to look at where the gin had bitten her and saw that her bicep was swollen and red. What did a bite from the gin do? She had at least a half day left down here. The medical books, she said, remembering. There were volumes of them in the case near the bronze toad. Her muscles felt sore and her head ached, but she felt good. She felt strong. The memory of Ogwu's failure and curse was vivid in her mind. As Anyanwu, she had been part of the group that sent Ogwu to stop the atomic bomb from dropping. She'd been a part of a group trying to prevent one of the worst human-caused disasters of all time, back in 1945. Wow. It didn't take Sunny long to find information in the medical books about the bite of a djinn. Apparently, they were common in the Sahara and all over the Middle East. They could kill you and take your soul if they held you in the wilderness long enough. Which was probably what it had done to the man with the hard bones 40 years ago and planned to do to Sonny. However, 
Their bites only caused a low-grade fever and dryness in the mouth. Sunny would have to suffer until her final meal and release came. Thankfully, the suffering was short-lived. Minutes after reading the Ginny information, she sat beside the bronze toad and fell into a deep, undisturbed, exhausted sleep. Chapter 14 Release Pepper soup, strong, with fish. She opened her eyes, her stomach clenched with hunger. The light bulb was still shining brightly, and sugar cream was glowing like Jesus Christ. The fact that she was wearing a long cream-colored dress and matching cream-colored veal added to the effect. Sunny's mouth and throat were so parched she couldn't speak. She was lying curled up on the sandy marble floor, her hoodie over her head, her sleeves pulled over her hands. Can you sit up? Sugar Cream softly asked. She placed the tray of pepper soup and a large bottle of water beside Sunny. She nodded, allowing Sugar Cream to help her sit up. She scooted to Sugar Cream's desk, leaned against it, and gave her mentor a hard look. Her arm ached and itched, but she was alive. But she'd almost been killed. Oh, don't look at me like that, Sugar Cream snapped. You suffer the consequences of your actions. Let that be your greatest lesson here. You make your bed, so you shall lie on it. It tried to kill me, Sunny whispered. Sugar cream stiffened for a moment, meeting Sunny's eyes. Then she picked up the bottle of water and handed it to Sunny. Drink. Cool, soothing goodness. Water is life. Water is life. Water is life, she thought. She drank and drank pulling in as much as she could. She finished more than half of the large bottle before bringing it down and sighing. It bit me, she said. And what did you do about it? Sugar Cream asked, handing her the bowl of soup. It was warm in her hands. A tainted pepper floated in the middle of the clear brown soup with large chunks of seasoned fish, tripe, and shrimp. It caused the soap to so soup to softly bubble. Sugar cream handed Sunny a spoon, and she took it. I got the help of friends, she coldly said. Sugar cream grunted and smiled. Ogwu and her children, she said. Is that why the bowl burns as a portal? Sunny shrugged as she spooned the soup into her mouth. Her belly warmed and the rest of her body followed. For once, it was good to eat hot, 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 tainted pepper soup. When she finished, Sugar Cream helped her up, inspected the bite on Sunny's arm, and then, de after deeming it not serious, 
helped Sonny up the many flights of stairs. Sonny's punishment was complete. The walk up and through the library was like a dream. She'd come to know the first three floors of this place well over the last year. But now, though she recognized everything, it felt slightly unfamiliar. There was a strange distancing effect, as if she hadn't been here in five years, as opposed to three days. She'd changed down there, and she was exhausted. By the time they reached ground level and stepped into the lobby, Sunny felt stronger. She no longer had to lean on sugar cream, and her head headache was gone. The bite was itchy, but she could at least move her arm. Sugar Cream said it was past midnight, yet there were several older students browsing the bookcases here as if all was normal. They glanced at Sunny, and some of them smiled at her and patted her on the shoulder and said, You look good, and handled like a soldier. Samya slowly came up to her, and Sunny hugged her tightly. She felt Samya cringe, and she quickly let go. I'm sorry, Sunny said, looking into Samya's brown eyes. Samya smiled tiredly. Don't be. She hugged Sunny again and kissed her on the cheek. I'm glad you're okay. They, they, they really can, you? Sunny asked, her eyes tearing up. Don't cry. You walk out of here with dry eyes, okay? I'm fine. As you know, some punishments are worth it. Sunny nodded, working hard to fight her tears. Samya squeezed her hand. Go, she said, gently pushing Sunny along. You've become a bit of a hero, Sugar Cream said dryly, after they'd moved on toward the door. If Sunny weren't so tired, she'd have been deeply confused. How did one come out of a three-day punishment a hero? When she stepped out of the Obi library, she the air felt so sweet. Sunny! Chi-Chi screamed, running up and throwing her arms around her, nearly knocking her to the ground. Ordu and Sasha stood behind her. They taught us to wait here! that you had to complete your punishment by walking unaided out of the Obi library. Unaided! She held Sunny back and looked her over. Ah, you look terrible. I feel worse, Sunny said, pressing her arm. Chi-Chi, Sasha paused, an angry look crossing his face. But then he looked at Sunny and smiled. She told us everything. I'd have done the same thing no matter the consequences. That's family, yo. Always gotta protect the fam. Sunny only nodded. Not even Sasha would understand the consequences. When he'd used Juju to switch the minds of two police officers back in the United States, he'd been canned. She, on the other side, had nearly lost her soul. But both he and Samia were right. It was worth it. Her eyes met Orlu's and again she nearly melted into tears. 
It was as if he could see right through her, witness all that she'd been through. His hands were at his sides, clenching and unclenching. She stepped up to him and Orlu gathered her into a quiet hug. It's all right, he said. You're with us now. Sugar Cream went back into the library as soon as Sunny was in the hands of her friends. She said that Sunny was to return for her lessons in a week. The four of them stopped at Mama Put's pudding place on the way back when Sunny said that she was hungry. Don't worry, Orlu said, pulling out a white plastic chair for Sunny. I'm paying. Order whatever you want. Sunny's pockets were full of the gold chitum that had fallen in the basement, but she didn't argue with him. She'd been gone three days, and all her friends could do was worry. They needed to feel as if they could do something, especially Orlu. It's late, Sunny said. My parents, my brother. Maybe it's best if... Don't worry about them, Chichi said. I've been going over there. They know you are at least okay. What? What have you been telling them? She asked. Nothing, she said. I can't. They already know you are part of something. They're beginning to understand. So all I've said is that you're fine and we'll be back tonight. The first day, your father looked at looked like he wanted to kill me. She laughed. Honestly, Sunny, your father doesn't know if he is coming or going when it comes to you. Your mother came to see my mother yesterday too, Olu said. My mother said she looked okay, just worried about the region you were gone. Sunny ordered a plate of stewed chicken. Mama put said it came with jollof rice, but Sunny asked to replace it with more fried plantain. She didn't think she wanted to eat jollof rice for a while or goat meat. She also ordered three bottles of water. When the food came, Sunny's entire body responded. As she ate and drank and ate and drank, Chi-Chi told her some surprising things. I called your brother that next day, Chi-Chi said. Remember, you gave me your phone. She reached in her, her pocket and handed it to Sunny. Thanks, Sunny said. What'd he say? Nothing much, she said. Sasha sucked his teeth loudly. Oh, stop, Chichi snapped. Sasha muttered something under his breath and Orlu's eyebrows went up. What did you say? Chichi asked, frowning. My brother, Sunny interrupted. My brother, it, is he okay? He's back in school, Chichi grinned. What, really? He didn't believe me at first when I said he could go back. But then later that day, he got a phone call. His friend at Bail couldn't stop apologizing and telling him that it was safe to return, that the confraternity is disbanded. Chukwu didn't believe it until one of his other friends, who was not in the confraternity and knew nothing about Chukwu's problem, called his cell phone laughing and telling him that two of his professors had left their position to join some born-again Christian group. When Chukwu returned, he found that the capital of the group had also become born again, though he didn't drop out. Her brother only missed a few days of school. Her parents never even knew he was gone. 
The next time he'd be home would be for Christmas, which was weeks away. He'd heal up nicely by then. Sonny looked at her phone. What was she going to tell him when she finally talked to him? She'd cross that bridge once she got to it. When she returned home, she made it into the kitchen before anyone knew she was there. Her father stood in the doorway in his nightwear. Sonny, he said in a low voice, where were you? Sonny's heart slammed in her chest and she felt her throat tightened. She couldn't tell him even if she wanted to. Dad, I... He held up a hand. Uh-uh. Something has always been wrong with you, he muttered. What kind of daughter has God given me, eh? I swear, Dad, I'm not... She froze as it started to happen, her body filling with terror, but she couldn't help it. No matter how hard she willed, her spirit face was coming forward. And as it began to happen, Sunny could feel Anyanwu's shock too. She turned from her father. Don't swear, her father snapped. Don't swear a thing to me. What are you, what is wrong with you? Sunny was afraid to speak, but as her spirit face retreated, she relaxed. She turned back to her father's angry face. Two years ago, he'd surely have beaten her when he saw this angry, when he was this angry, and this scared him. She could see it in his eyes. She was old enough now and had faced enough scary things herself to recognize it. Are you all right? He asked in a low voice. She nodded. Did anyone hurt you? I'm okay, Dad, she said. The Jenny bit her on her arm, itched and ached. Was losing control of her spirit face a side effect? He touched his forehead and closed his eyes. <sighs> Will this happen again, Sonny? She pressed her lips together, steadying herself. If her spirit face had slipped forward, would they have returned her back? right back to the basement or something even worse why did that even happen and her father made her angry she had always known he resented her for not being what he wanted he was like so many other igbo fathers sons 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 even when you had two and if not a son then a beautiful polite docile daughter no, she said. She just wanted to escape to her room. I'll tell your mother that you're home, he said, making to leave. He turned back to Sunny. We love you more than life itself. He paused, his own words seeming to take his breath away. Then his face became hard and angry, as she'd known it most of her life when he looked at her again. And he continued. But you worry her like that again, and I will disown you from this family and throw you out of this house. Later on, her mother didn't come running to the kitchen or her room. 
but Sunny could hear her sobbing with relief in their bedroom. She heard Yugana go to their room. Then he came to Sunny's room, peeked in, and without a word, returned to his room. Sunny lay awake listening to her mother sobbing and her father's soft, consoling murmurs. She wished she could go to her parents' room as she used to when she was younger, before she became part of something that was entirely separate from her family. She closed her eyes, tears streaming from the sides onto her pillow. Those days were over. In chapter 14. So there you guys have it, chapters 13 and 14. 13 was a lot thicker, but that's because that was initially the um, experience of Chi-Chi and what she experienced in that basement. Um, For me, I know I would not want to be sent to that basement. Um, I'm sorry, but it it wasn't worth it. Um, I feel like there... I, we would have just did the master, masquerade, covered our both both our butts, and keep it moving. I'm not about to deal with no gin in no basement and nearly lose my life because I'm trying to save your life. Like, that makes no sense. Mm-mm. Maybe that's not... Mm-mm. I don't know. Everybody got a different opinion. But then, you know, you never know if you really are, like, seriously facing something like that, how we will react, you know? But, like, what, what do y'all think y'all would do? Like, if your brother came home and had a beat-up face and you had these abilities, you know, you're part of this coven, you're part of a leopard society, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you going to do what Sonny did or you going to just follow the plan that Sonny and Chi-Chi originally had that was covering both their behinds and still getting done with the punishment? Like, I don't know. Sometimes you we make sacrifices for other people and we got to not do that for real, for real, because you got to balance it out, you know? to make it work but anyways um yeah that was a lot that was a lot and her coming out is just a big transition um i do feel like her spirit face trying to come forward is a side effect of the bite which is just going to be even more shitty for sunny because if she's around a lamb there's no telling when it's going to happen and what's going to happen for real is the council going to punish her again for something that's out of her control or what really is going to happen to Sunny? I mean, I don't want to see her back in that basement. Even though the gin is temporarily gone, it's not gone for good. Like Ogu said, the spider, it's not gone for good. It just, it'll be a while till it comes back. But I just want to see what will happen, you know? But yeah, that's, um, I hope you guys enjoyed chapters 13 and 14. It was definitely a treat for me. Let me know what you guys think. Um, And until next time, of course... You know, we out here, we stay true, and we stay being us, you know, phenomenally, unapologetically, and just take the time out to wind it down, my love, and slow it down, my love. Don't overstress yourself. It's gonna get down. So wind it down, my love, and slow it down, my love. 
Don't overwhelm yourself. It's gonna get done. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at elevated underscore frequency to keep up to date with everything. And um, yeah, like I said, until next time, stay true, stay you. Namaste.